Hello. Yes, hello. It's time for another episode of That's So Gallifrey with me, Simon. And me, Marcus. Oh, it feels weird doing it the opposite way around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, firstly, apologies. We're a little bit late, a few days out. Uh, well, one day. One day out. Yeah. Um, bank holiday weekend and all. Queen's Jubilee, etc. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but today is uh, probably a bit of a shorter one than normal, but we're combining two serials yeah. into one. Quite exciting. For two reasons, really. One is because the first serial is only two episodes long. And the second reason, the next serial doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> All gone. So, yeah. Yeah. So this week we are combining The Edge of Destruction and Marco Polo together. Ooh. Yeah. So it started off The Edge of Destruction. To be fair, looking back on it, I do not know what the hell happened. I don't. <laughs> I, I misunderstood. So confused. I think I found this one a little bit boring. Yeah, it and was. Can you imagine if this was a six-parter? I would. I would be. I would be ready to just turn it off and never turn it back on again. And I think it would have probably got it cancelled mm. back in the day if it had been six parts. Yeah. So very similar to sort of Midnight in New Who. Mm. Uh, it all took place in one set, the TARDIS. And it was just, I don't know, I just felt a little bit like, I thought I, I thought there was some possession going on because they were acting so weird. And they, were, they did mention possession and they did seem to hint at it as well. Mm. But we'll, I think we'll come to that soon. Anyway, start yeah. at the beginning. So obviously he picked up the end of um, the last serial. Mm-hmm. TARDIS crew is unconscious after the explosion. Some spooky music plays and some really good shots looking around the TARDIS. Yeah, it was nice to actually see the TARDIS properly. Yeah. I'll give it that. That that was a nice sort of opener. But yeah. And Barbara wakes up. <laughs> Everyone else is still passed out. Um, Susan kind of follows behind, but she's just acting a bit weird. I think she's obviously meant to be dazed and confused, but it didn't. This is a problem with early television. Mm. It's that... All the performers, all the actors, have had their careers in theatre. So they're used to being very over the top. Yeah. And it shows on anything kind of up until like, even like the, the late 70s, I think. It's I think even the, the 80s. I think the 80s was when it started to change. Yeah. And you had some people who had literally just been born and bred in, in movies and TV. Mm. Um, I think the weird crossovers between theatre and um Soap operas. That's yeah. that theatrical kind of extra th- over the top stuff. Anyway, I'm ranting it, and I said let's not do that. It's all right. It's be- I think it's just because when you say they were in theatre, theatre you've got audiences right at the back, so you have to make everything big. Exactly. And TV is so close all the time, so it wasn't needed. Mm-mm. But yeah, it, it was like Susan was possessed or sleepwalking. This is um, weird. Then she freaked out when she saw the doctor unconscious and she was giving it all this, oh, oh, ah, kind of like over the topness. Do you mean like this? <laughs> Not quite that bad. <laughs> but she's she's literally like screaming, crying, throwing up, chucking herself all around. Well, not throwing up, but you know what I mean, the quote. <laughs> um, she's chucking herself all around and being like... Vomit all over the TARDIS. <laughs> proper weird. Mm, it whereas, won't work. Mm, they've thrown up on the console. <laughs> <laughs> whereas Barbara's just kind of like... what the worst thing is? Hmm? 
Sorry. <laughs> Barbara's just being like dead natural. Then all of a sudden Ian's awake and he's like, oh, you're working late tonight, miss, right? Seems about to be like slightly confused and co- like a bit of memory loss, yeah. which all of a sudden comes back really quickly. He's totally forgotten that they're in the TARDIS. And then he's just like, who's this man on the floor? <laughs> it's just like uh. weird. Um, so obviously Ian, being the natural born leader, checks that the doctor is okay and he's like oh his heart's okay which suggests that he only has one heart yeah either that or because he thinks he's human he only needs to check where the heart yeah. is he, he didn't he didn't think to check the other side which yeah. you wouldn't naturally really do unless you're checking somebody's lungs that is a good point so that could be that um but yeah it's only barbara who seems to remember that they're on the tardis ian can't remember ever being there uh susan freaking out about the doors being open like ridiculously like the doors were just a jar in the tardis and she's like ah! <laughs> that's gonna be like susan every time just crazy <laughs> uh and and anyway barbara uh suggests the doors uh were forced open when they crashed tries to reassure her there's nothing wrong susan is convinced that there's something in the tardis and i think that's where we get to the whole mm. uh uh, possession thing that we thought was happening yeah so i can't remember who it was but someone had been injured and they use magic bandages which just go completely clear when the wound is healed which i thought was really cool yeah it's like a nice little futuristic well, i think susan thing. brought them over to barbara yeah and explained that they uh was she it was the like what are these spots what like... are the... yeah the doctor needed it around his head yeah and they were like what she was like what are these spots for and she says oh that's a uh, that's not the medicine i said she can't remember what word she used it's like the ointment the stuff. ointment or something um and uh once it's gone green it means the uh the, the in once the color disappears sorry it means the injury's been healed yeah so it was like a fast track in healing it's which is quite cool. cool against quite futuristic scientific for the time yeah. And then the doors of the TARDIS just kept opening and closing on their own. Um, we, we assume it was to stop Ian from leaving because he was trying to leave. And every time he walked towards the door, it would close. He took a step back and it would open. And then, <laughs> you guessed it, Susan freaks out again. But this time, she faints. So Ian takes her off to put her to bed. And Barbara says to look after the doctor. And then... it. When they're in the bedroom, it again, it's quite futuristic. It was like a, a folding wall that came down with the bed on the inside, like what you get in like little tiny New York apartments. A futuristic Murphy bed. Yeah. And it was like in the TARDIS. So mm-hmm. it, it was giving the TARDIS that quite cool sort of, I can imagine for the 60s, it would have been very modern. Yeah. Um, And then she just goes nuts. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I think I really dislike Susan. <laughs> Even more than the doctor. Yes, the doctor. He's. I like it because he looks at the camera. He's like, I'm having it. Where, you're in on the fun. Susan's just annoying. Mm. She's really annoying. Like she's not really contributed much other than to tell, essentially, kind of tell Barbara and Ian that, just like the doctor, that they think that she thinks they're a bit stupid at times. Yeah. Um, and she's obviously there to show off and and kind of be the 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 middle ground between us as humans and the doctor. Yeah. And, like, gives this bit of information. But for the most part, I think she's really annoying. Ah! Lovely. <laughs> Sorry if you're wearing does. headphones. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that goes a bit crazy. She's um, got them scissors. And she's like, who are you? Yeah, she tries to <laughs> she starts stabbing the bed. Um, yeah. Uh, Barbara tells the doctor that she thinks something's wrong. 
uh, something got into the TARDIS uh, when he kind of comes around, doesn't believe it. Barbara's obviously adamant. Um, and again, she's, I've said this to you before, she, uh, Barbara is quite calm about it all, mm. which made, which I was a bit confused about at first because I thought Ian would have been the one who kind of took it on board and he yeah. has in terms of leading the group and protecting them. But uh, when it comes to like defying what he knows as scientific fact, really freaks him out uh-huh. uh, and he can't seem to cope with it. And obviously he's had a bit of a head injury on this, so we'll let him off a bit. Um, but yeah, she's the voice of reason. She literally just deals with anything that's chucked at her, doesn't she? She's just kind of like, I'm in the moment, this is happening, I'm dealing with it. Even if she is falling over <laughs> and getting trampled by the Doctor and Susan. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> it's quite funny. So Ian is convinced that it could be something mechanical causing the problems as well. And is worried that the Doctor might get an electric shock if he goes near the the console. Um Barbara then goes to check on Susan, who looks like she's dressed. She belongs in the handmaid's tail. <laughs> I've seen this. It was so. I weird. think I glanced down for two seconds and then looked back up, and she's wearing this like worse than you know the thing you, clothing you get in hospital. Uh huh. Worse than that. I don't know what it. I don't think it was meant to be like a little like headdress thing. I think it was meant to be like a towel. Was it like a towel? Oh, like I'm on about her. On her oh, but she did wear like the big funny yeah, like, it was like cloak. A... <laughs> and it was like, where's this coming from? And know. she's, she remembers Barbara, but she's still being quite aggressive and demanding all these questions. And she's got the bloody scissors again. <laughs> like Ian got the scissors off her and then Barbara, and then Susan's got them back and it's like, oh. anyway, Barbara wrestles them away and Susan says that she thinks that whatever's coming to the ship has possessed one of them. Then Ian comes in and says everything's fine. And he's been the weirdest. So we were convinced that he's the one that's possessed. Mm. And he kept talking really strange as well. Yeah, he was. Uh, that's what made me think there was like an alien possessing them. And it was like, didn't understand their speech pattern. Because mm. he would just be like, no, you must do this. Where normally he's quite like, you know, we must do this. And uh-huh. it was like, it just didn't, it, something was wrong. The whole thing just felt weird, and I don't know if the kind of direction was wrong. They weren't weren't directed right, or Partly did they decide? They did, it, yeah. did they initially think maybe that that's why the serial was shorter? Did they initially think that it was going to be about a possession, and then all of a sudden just became a what we'll obviously get to at the the end of this is that it was just a paranoia thing. Mm. I don't know. I think it was just maybe maybe the direction was to do it just to confuse everybody, <laughs> but. Carrying on, the Doctor checks the scanners to see if anything's outside and the screen just keeps showing loads of places from across time and space and then we see the moon blow up. Um, so no one knows where we actually are. It's kind of like they're weirdly in flux between all these kind of different places. And then the Doctor accuses Barbara and Ian of sabotaging the TARDIS and claims that they attacked him and Barbara and he thinks that they did it to him force him... Hmm? Him and Susan. Him and Susan, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting mixed up now. So he thinks that they did it to force him to take them back. But then Barbara stands up to him and absolutely kicks off at him for suggesting such a thing. Like, Yas Queen mm-hmm. snaps. Like, she flips. Yeah. I do think in the end of this, obviously we'll get to it at the very end, I think the, the importance of, of this episode was to kind of build that trust between mm. them all, which we'll get to in the, in the second episode. But I just wanted to jump in with that yeah. while it was on my mind. Definitely. But then suddenly she goes all weird and screams and gets upset. (laughs) It's a recurring theme in this serial. I don't know what that was meant to be. Um, But it seemed like time was going weird. And then the doctor walks in with tea for everyone. (laughs) 
Would you like some tea? And then Barb, and then Ian, sorry, just goes, I wish I could understand you, Doctor. One minute you're abusing us, the next you're playing the perfect butler. Come on, Doctor, get us off, get us off! <laughs> and then Barbara's off to bed. <laughs> mm. So it, at this point, it seems that whatever the creature, inverted commas, is, it's travelling between the characters, because each of them keep acting strangely in kind of turns. So then Ian wants the Doctor to apologise to Barbara, but he won't. She's stormed off to bed now anyway. Um, Susan's kind of lingering in the background watching creepily while the Doctor and Ian chat with a funny little hat on and a cloak looking like a woman in black hiding in the background. Then she goes to apologise to Barbara on the Doctor's behalf and basically begs her to forgive him. <laughs> She doesn't like, have scissors that time. Thankfully, no scissors. <laughs> no scissors, Barb. No scissors, Susan. <laughs> you get mixed them up all the time. No. Hmm? You sound like William Hartnell getting his lines mixed up. Bless yeah. him. Uh, anyway, later on, everyone's asleep. The doctor sneaks around, uh, laughing to himself and being a bit creepy as he checks on them. <laughs> it's just so weird. <laughs> uh, then he goes to the TARDIS controls uh, and uh, a hand grabs him around the throat. No idea what is happening. Yeah. And so ends <laughs> episode like, one. I was kind of like, thank you mm. for that. So episode two, the brink of disaster. When it begins, we see that it was Ian who grabbed the doctor. And then, like everybody else in this episode, he faints. <laughs> Everyone just seems to conveniently faint in this story. Yeah. Uh, the doctor insists he's fine. It's the only, uh, it's only the others who are plotting to take over the ship. We see very paranoid, uh, and the doctor says he swore to treat uh, Barbara and Ian as enemies, and begins to get really hostile with them. Uh, and he says they're endangering their lives. Uh, and again, the doctor's been really self-preservative. Yeah, um, he's literally like, "You're endangering us. It's it's you. You're the ones who are doing this. Like, it's you." I'm not having it. And it gets really, really horrible. Yeah. I mean, they're all pretty horrible to each other. Yeah. Um, probably Barbara the least of it all, really. Um, but yeah, uh, Barbara pleads a case with Susan. The doctor keeps trying to turn Susan against them. Uh, and again, as I mentioned just earlier on Hartnell, you noticed a lot more in this episode, tripping mm. over his words uh, quite a bit. But now knowing how quickly they were filming stuff. Yeah. I kind of... I, I understand and I accept it a bit. And obviously, we you know he had problems with his memory and stuff. And back then as well, you wouldn't have the luxury of the reshoots as much because they would go rehearse, 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 shoot, and that's it. It's pretty scary. Just to interrupt, I'm getting very distracted looking out the window here as we record this. There's somebody on the field, like, looking through the grass. They must have dropped something and they're just, like, searching the grass on the this field for something. <laughs> Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, you know, in Star Wars, the parody, of, the Family Guy parody of Star Wars, where mm. they're, they're combing the desert, they literally have the comb. Oh, that was yeah. actually uh, Spaceballs, the movie, wasn't it? Uh, it looks a bit like that. Anyway, sorry. Coming back to it, the Doctor demands that Barbara and Ian get off the ship right now. And Ian can hardly move, but the Doctor is determined to kick them out. And then Ian tries to strangle Barbara. <laughs> like, What? For some reason, this gone from Ian, who should be protecting Barbara and standing up with her and defending their right to be there and saying we haven't done anything. He's suddenly trying to kill her. 
That's that's that is worse than six trying to kill Perry. Because at least six has the excuse of regeneration. regeneration. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's obviously some excuse to this though. Like mm. there's reason behind it. Uh, anyway, the the doctor realizes finally that everyone is to blame. They're all at fault and apologizes for being horrible to the best of his ability. Which isn't very much, to be Not fair. Not really, no. And, uh, yeah, they just carry on being okay uh, with everybody. Uh, and like I said earlier, it feels very much like midnight. Mm. That one location, sinister evil that we can't see, uh, kind of working out what's really going on. Um, it feels like a bit like the thing as well. Like, you kind of don't know who to trust. Mm. Like, who's the alien? Who is it? Like, it's is that it invisible is it threat that? thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it also reminded me a little bit of Amy's choice, where, like, something's wrong and you kind of don't know what it is and mm. it's all a bit weird. And, again, we'll come back to that in a bit about Amy's choice because it, it kind of ties into something that was a little bit like that. Like, New Who, The Edge of Destruction, is Amy's choice, really. Mm. But, yeah, um... The um, there's another explosion and a lot of techno babble that went over my head, but it basically boils down to having ten minutes or maybe less to survive. And the doctor seems shocked to think that the TARDIS can think for itself here because it's something about the power inside the central column wanting to escape or something like that. I don't know. Um, oh, I thought it was Ian who was shocked because he said something like it, it, "It's a like it sounds like it's alive or something." Mm, I'm sure there was something think, along that line. It might have been. I was busy writing notes. Mm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, uh, it's almost like the TARDIS has been trying to warn them about the mm. imminent disaster, kind of trying to freeze them in a bit of time just to stop what was going to happen. Um, uh, yeah, the doors open when it's safe to go out, but then they close again. Uh, and we see a planet getting further. We mentioned this earlier on the planet getting further away on screen and then blows up almost like the big bang kind of thing yeah. happening again and again and again. Um, and then it blows up and then the TARDIS defense mechanism, uh, has been trying to protect them. And uh, they're at the very start of a new solar system and like an endless loop, essentially. Uh, it's complex and scientific and the Doctor is far too excited about it. And Ian demands, he tells them, uh, where he was meant to be going. Um, but the Doctor said he wanted to take them back to Earth and they got caught up in this. Yeah. And that's the point where we find out that this whole drama kicked off because a button got stuck on the TARDIS console and it wouldn't work. So the button had been pushed in and then it hadn't like released itself properly after being pressed. So it had kind of got stuck. So it was constantly doing the same thing. Like I can't remember how the doctor explained it was. It's like when you push in a pen and the the tip comes out and then if you push it, push it in and it doesn't work properly and the tip kind of still out and it's jammed. Yeah. It was basically that. So it was the TARDIS just messing up which is what i meant about amy's choice like in that it was the psychic pollen that got into the tardis motors and it was just one of those things that the tardis accidentally caused this drama and obviously once everything's fixed back to normal uh susan called the doctor out for saying some rather nasty things um when he thought that the humans were possessed or whatever was going on uh, and he goes to apologize to barbara and ian but Babs is having none of it. Uh, she is raging. She's fuming. Yeah, and she stubs off in a right <laughs> huff. Uh, and he goes and tries again later. Uh, he's absolutely useless. He's still not really good with humans this early on in his whatever this life is. Uh, I don't know. Um, 
yeah, she obviously tries and eventually softens her. Uh, and Barbara decides to come along for the next adventure where it's meant to be cold. So the doctor tells Barbara that there's warm clothes and eventually calls her very valuable. And they leave the TARDIS arming out. And it was actually a really, really nice moment that I like that bit. Yeah. Because so, well, Barbara kind of goes realized... off with Susan. Mm. Then there's a moment where um, Ian and the doctor are on the TARDIS yeah. by themselves. And um, basically, Ian looks like Sherlock Holmes. He's got a deer stalker on and a big, like, what, what I can't remember what the coats are called. But like the hun- like a, like a hunting Victorian coat. coat with coat. like the bit over the shoulders yeah. and stuff, isn't it? And they have a moment, he says that he thinks it suits him and all of that sort of thing. He says, it's far too big for me, um, that sort of thing. And then they link and they walk out. And then on. Susan runs in with snow and chucks it over them first. Yes, they have a bit um, of a snowball fight. <laughs> and then they go outside and Susan finds an enormous footprint and she's like, Doo-doo-doo. ah! <laughs> More and then, sadly, the next serial, Marco Polo, completely missing however we did do a little bit of research and we learned about it so we can talk about it right now mm. marco paul i can't speak today marco polo is apparently one of the most ambitious episodes of early who uh which reading about and looking at it yes multiple sets it's the first time they had to film uh out of sequence which i don't mm. know if you can really put this in the script a bit later on filmed it out of sequence where yeah. the previous ones have all been done in like a play again in order so obviously that kind of um early what we now have is television we know we film in a specific set all at once because Mm -hmm. it's cheaper and easier uh to do then you move to the next set so you could actually be filming your final episode final scenes before you finish filming your Uh opening scenes etc and it also had some of what should have been the biggest sets because it had massive deserts it had mountains it had like royal courts it had everything in it but it was actually filmed on one of the smallest BBC studios. Mm. Mm. We'll come a bit more to that later on as well. Uh, so, yeah, it was a costume drama with intricate costumes and gorgeous sets, as Simon says. Uh, big ones. Uh, huge. <laughs> well, <laughs> backdrops of huge backdrops. sets. <laughs> a tiny uh, little postage stamp of acting space. Yeah, true. A huge backdrop. And the story saw the TARDIS frozen on uh, the roof of the world in the Himalayas. And the gang meet Marco Polo and decide to go with him instead of freezing to death. And uh, apparently, um, well, not apparently, John Lucciarotti wrote a massive serial for CBC, Canada Broadcasting Corporation, based on Marco Polo's journey. And it aired in Canada in 1955 to 56. Uh, and while working at the CBC, he met Sidney Newman, who went on to become the creator of Doctor Who, and he ended up being commissioned to write a seven-part serial, which which became Marco, Marco Polo. Polo. Uh, and the seven episodes were called The Roof of the World, The Singing Sands, 500 Eyes, The Wall of Lies, Rider or from Shangtu, Mighty Kublai Khan, and Assassination at Peking. Mm-hmm. And through these episodes, Marco Polo would narrate it, so it was like diary entries, so he'd have all these like little monologues, and that became something that we'll talk about later at the end. Mm. Quite cool, isn't it? Um, space saving obviously is important. And again, we go back to the Daleks where there were multiple uh, mm. cardboard cutouts of Daleks because they only had four uh, actual full uh, operating ones. Um they had to uh, use a cardboard cutout of the TARDIS <laughs> instead of the real thing. <laughs> Just to save a bit of space, I guess. Yeah, and the TARDIS would, of course, play a big part of the story, so it had to still be there. Um, and um, 
Marco Polo wanted to actually present it to Kublai Khan to win his favour, so it needed to it needed to make sure it was there mm-hmm. in some way. <laughs> Episode two was about the gang being with Marco Polo and his caravan heading towards Kublai Khan's court, but then they get caught in a sandstorm. And if that weren't enough, the water supply is sabotaged by Tagana, who is a warlord who wanted to kill Kublai Khan. And during the filming, William Hartnell became ill, so many of his scenes involving him were cut. Oh. Uh, other characters were given his line in place, uh, and the, the Doctor instead sleeps through the sandstorm, and the big scene between the Doctor to Susan talking about the TARDIS being taken away is swapped out for Barbara too. Uh, then we go into episode three. The gang end up uh, desperate for water, so the Doctor manages to get some using the TARDIS for condensation, uh, and then they end up in the cave of 500 eyes. Uh, and the TARDIS is set, uh, TARDIS set, sorry, was even changed for this studio uh, that instead of having the usual enormous set, which fills uh, nearly half of the studio, had to be shrink, shrunk down into a tiny corner, again, back to what Simon mm-hmm. was saying earlier, uh, and only had the door and uh, a small bed. And even that had to be removed to fit the camera in to <laughs> film from certain angles as it's well. shocking, isn't it? Like, literally such a small space that they had. That brings us on to episode four, though. And in episode four, Tagana plans to attack the caravan and Marco takes the TARDIS for his own to give to Kublai Khan and then tells the Doctor and the gang that if they resist, they die. Do-do-do. I know. Drama. So during the filming of this episode, William Russell um, wrote to his agent to complain about the job as well. He wasn't happy that two guest stars, I think it was um, William Hartnell... Mark Eden, who was Marco Polo, and I can't remember who it was who played Tagana, possibly. They were the three people on the front cover Mm. of the Radio Times, and he was fuming because he expected that it should be him and Jacqueline Hill, who was Barbara and Caroline Ford, with Hartnell on there. And he complained about the constant last-minute rewrites and used an example of a drastically changed six-minute scene to back up his argument that had only been given to him the day before recording. I know, right? However, he did receive an apology from the head of drama who said the Radio Times chose the image they wanted to use and had assumed they'd picked the one with the permanent cast, but in this case they chose the guest cast. Uh, and you also promised that uh, it was promised that script problems would come to an end since the series had been commissioned for a much longer run. Phew. Well, <laughs> I would be on. fuming with that, though. Mm. A six-minute scene given to you the day before that's been massively changed from what you learned. Yeah. I'm very annoyed. It's, I imagine what filming a soap is like. Mm. Isn't that right, Audrey? And you know what the worst thing is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Script's changing all the time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, episode five sees uh, Susan's relationship develop with uh, Ping Cho. And uh, when the gang try to escape, Susan is kidnapped by Tigana. Um, oh dear, not good. Uh, and this episode <laughs> featured an untrained spider monkey. Much worse behaved than uh, Marcel in Friends, uh, which the cast found difficult to work with. And uh, Caroline Ford recalled it, that it was a nasty little thing peeing all over the place and biting everyone who came near it. <laughs> Do you know what Susan's reaction would be? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, we can't really talk much about these episodes in detail, so we're just picking out some little bits and bobs from each yeah. one. Uh, so we're now on episode six. 
uh, and Ping Cho runs away from the camp while Ian and Tigana uh, go to look for her. Uh, while the rest carry on to Kublai Khan's court, and the TARDIS has been taken by one of Tigana's men, and when it's found by Ian and Ping Cho, Tigana is enraged, enraged, and fuming, and is prepared to fight for it. And then in this episode, there is actually a scene where Ian confesses that he's from the future, <gasps> and he has a conversation about it with Marco Polo. So original scripts, though, showed that these lines had been cut by Waris Hussein, and he chopped all of that out, but then it made it into the final episode. So everyone's yeah. like, did they decide that it was actually good to keep that in? Or did they just, was it a short episode? So they wanted to fill in fill the runtime? Like, no one knows, but it, it did make it in the end. Hmm. Uh, we're now on to the final episode of the serial. Uh, episode seven. Uh, Ian and Ping Cho uh, are rescued and es- esco- ex- escorted. escorted to Kublai Khan's court. <laughs> Uh, they bring Tigana and the TARDIS with them. Tigana is prepared to assassinate the, the uh, travel. Uh, sorry, Khan. While the travelers get ready to take the TARDIS back and move on, uh, and the serial ends with Marco narrating once again and pondering. I wonder where they are now, the past or the future. Hmm. And there was originally a whole scene where the guest. Where the cat, where the gas, <laughs> where the cast discuss their regrets of not saying goodbye, and Barbara tells them about Marco's fate in real life, and the doctor reveals that he stole Marco's journal and is shocked by what the man thought of him. <laughs> but this scene was cut, um, but it is the kind of thing that we would go to see throughout Doctor Who. And especially in New Who, where companions talk about the real history of characters and what ended up happening to them. Something that we see loads in New Who was like things like Fires of Pompeii and Vincent and the Doctor, where we learn about the real people and stuff like that. It's, mm. it's a big thing now. Yeah. So, so to see it that early, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so while we obviously haven't watched any of this, we've just been reading up on it. We've watched some things on YouTube. There is still original audio and uh, the telesnaps. Uh, from every episode except for episode five of this serial, because none were taken. Um, and photos that were taken on set by a fan at the time. And uh, there's a novel and fan-made reconstructions. A big finish audio. Yeah, and we can hope that it'll one day be found. Uh, maybe Ian Levine <laughs> will manage to track it down. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you'll be hearing a lot about him over the coming weeks. For both reasons good... And bad. I mean, as we say over the coming weeks, it's going to be the coming years yeah. <laughs> if we're doing an episode a Forever week. Forever and ever. <laughs> There'll be lots about Ian Levine in the future. Well, I need to have a break. I know. But the, I think the main problem with Marco Polo that we, we can't avoid is that it does contain depictions of prejudice that were, are, and always will be racist. And while it makes the serial an uncomfortable one, I think we do need to acknowledge it and that things were like that back then. And thankfully, the world has changed and we are moving on and progressing from that. Well, you see on, obviously, streaming services now, they'll they'll air um, things that were racist mm. um, or transphobic or anything, and they'll always put these disclaimers on. And obviously, this is something of the time. Um, bear that in mind when you watch this program, yeah. etc. cetera. Um, and it is that thing of times have changed. Um, and sometimes people use it as a defence for, like, in the opposite, like, back in my day, though, it wasn't like mm. that. It's like, no, oh, we get that. We acknowledge that. But it's not like that now. That, but it's not like that now. Yeah. And that's the bit that you need to, to do. Yeah, because I think 
if you brush it under the carpet and pretend it never happened, that's that's way more damaging than saying it happened, it was wrong, and we need to do better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there you go. Thank you very much for tuning in for another episode of That's So Gallifrey with me, Marcus. And me, Simon. Together we are known as The, the Geeky, Geeky Gaze. We will be back next week for another edition where we will be reflecting on uh, the next serial. The Keys of Marinus oh, is next. Yes. Of course, you can find us on social media uh, at That So Gallifrey and also find us on The Geeky Gaze on social media. And uh, we're on Glitterbeam Radio on a Sunday at 2pm, bringing you two hours of geeky goodness with some great music thrown in for good measure, of course, talking about Doctor Who as well as Star Wars, Star Trek, comics, video games, all sorts. So do join us there. 